Hi, I'm Pastor Brady, and welcome to the Five Forks Student Ministries Podcast. Tonight, we are continuing on our journey through the book of James, where each night we're going to be tackling one of the chapters that we find in the book of James here in the New Testament. Last week, we talked about chapter one, and so now tonight, we find ourselves in chapter two. Well, hey, as we begin here, like I said, we're going to get started here in the book of James. And I think all of you, like I said, we already went over this. All of you should have your copy of that. And so the reason that you know that you have that copy, if you were not here last week, the reason that you were given that is because last week we started a new five-week series where we are going on this journey to study the book of James that we find here in the New Testament. And so each week, Each week, we are going to be breaking down one of the chapters here in James. Last week, we talked about chapter 1. We're in chapter 1, just a quick recap. We find that James there, he was challenging us to rethink our perspective on whenever it comes to facing trials and temptations. That was kind of the first part of chapter 1. And then in the second part of chapter 1, we see that it was all about this call to action that James gives us. You know, being a doer, just doing it. You know, and James is saying, being a follower of Jesus is far more than just listening and learning about the Bible, but you got to live it out too. You got to put it into action. You got to be a doer. And so that's what we talked about last week. But now we are moving on to chapter two. And uh, as we begin this journey on, on chapter two, uh, there's, there's something uh, I just wanted to do here real quick. Here you go, Zach. Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, there you go, Waggy. Uh, Grant, I guess you get it. Yeah, I guess you get it, Grant. Uh, no, you actually, yeah, you can help yourself to a little bit. Uh, Will, Will, there you go. That is all yours, my friend. Uh, Tony, you get a piece. Yeah, none over here. Oh, yeah, Allie, you do get a piece. Yeah, yeah, oh, there you go. Yes. Ah, mm. mm. oh, Miriam, here you go. And uh, Natalie, you can get a piece as well. And I, Lila, I guess, I guess you do. It's a, it's a close one, but I guess you get a piece. Uh, anyway, yeah, so we're talking about chapter two. We're talking about chapter two here. And as we begin chapter two, you are so confused as to why I just did that. And that's great. Why? Nope. Nope. You're in chapter one. I moved on to chapter two. Exactly. Well, we're, we're, about, we're talking about chapter two now. Why did I do that, Waggy? Because uh, at the end of verse one, it says, uh, if the passion claim to have faith in our glory, glory, and Christ to be saved from people of Oh, that is exactly right. Because at the beginning of chapter two, the beginning of chapter two, we see that. James is talking about a sin that God hates, and I'm sure those of you who did not just get a piece of candy there, I'm sure you probably hate it right now yourself. We're talking about the sin of favoritism, and uh, I'm curious, did anyone catch the pattern that I was doing? There was a specific thing I was favoring and looking for as to why some of you may have received a piece of candy and others didn't. No. It had something to do with their clothing. It was the color. Color blue. 
It's my favorite color. So I favored those who were wearing the color blue. I guess I didn't look at, if I did jeans, that would be pretty much everyone. I was only looking at like jackets and shirts. So yeah, yeah. Did I, did, am I, navy blue, okay, you know what? We established this morning that apparently I'm colorblind because I think those padded chairs are blue, which they are, they're, they're, they, got, they got a hint of blue to them. All right, well, anyway, we're talking about favoritism. And the, the thing about favoritism is, I think a lot of us would say, yeah, we, we don't like favoritism, like it bothers us, but I think it's something that we all struggle with too. We struggle with favoritism, and I do just want to pause and just say, I think it's important to clarify here that I'm not talking about favoritism when it comes to having like a favorite soda drink, like I prefer Dr. Pepper over Pepsi, or you know, Apple versus Android, or who your favorite music art- artist is. That's not the kind of favoritism we're talking about. But the favoritism we're talking about is favoritism towards people. And Waggy, as you touched on earlier, the first verse we see in chapter 2 reads this. James says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? So man, like James, he's kind of, he starts off chapter 2 with a bang right here. How can you claim to have faith in Jesus if you're constantly showing favoritism? I mean, that's some powerful stuff right here that he begins with. But as we read this verse, there's one particular word that kind of stands out to me as we read this. And that word is actually the word glorious. Glorious. Our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason this word and description of Jesus is so important is because right here at the beginning of this chapter we see that James is making a clear distinction between Jesus and the rest of us, the humans, essentially. And so what James is doing is he is making it clear that Jesus is far above any of us. He is far above any human. And so what he's saying is that if you are going to show favor to anyone, the only person who is worthy of receiving favor is Jesus. He is the only one because he is God in the flesh. While all of us, we are lowly sinners. And so he says, we have this glorious Savior up here. And so don't show favoritism to other people. He kind of starts off with this. For example, as he goes on to say in verse 2, suppose someone comes into your meeting or church, essentially. Suppose someone comes into your church dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. And then another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. Well, if you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but then you say to the poor one, you can stand over there, or maybe you just sit on the floor somewhere. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Hmm. I mean, again, it's powerful stuff right here that James hits us with. And it's in verse 4 that there's another word that stands out to me. Anyone want to take a guess of what that word is? Not quite discrimination, but there's another word. Judgments. Judgments, exactly. And the reason this word stands out to me is because essentially what James is saying here is, right here, you are the one who is determining whether one person is more important than another person. You are making that judgment right there. 
You are favoring someone simply because they may have more earthly possessions than someone else does. And as I kind of thought about this, I just realized, like, man, in, in our world, it is so common and almost expected of us to show favoritism to people who maybe have more wealth. It's expected to show favoritism to the people who are more famous. It's expected to show favoritism to the beautiful or the smart and the brilliant. For example, this is uh, something I noticed a few weeks ago, and uh, some of you may have heard about this. But a few weeks ago, uh, the Super Bowl was being played, and I'm sure everyone knows that Taylor Swift is dating uh, Travis Kelsey on the Chiefs. But the interesting thing that I noticed before the Super Bowl was that the Japanese embassy, the embassy of Japan here in the United States, you know, and the embassy is essentially responsible for making sure that you know, anything that's kind of happening in Japan and the United States is being well communicated. You know, they're kind of in charge of the connection between the two nations. And something that I noticed is that they made this statement right before the Super Bowl, two days before the Super Bowl, where they wanted to make it known that Taylor Swift, who was playing shows in Japan for this tour, well, they wanted to make sure everyone knew, everyone in America knew she was going to make it back in time to watch her man play in the Super Bowl. And the thing is, is they were just kind of having fun with this. You know, they were just, you know, having fun because, you know, it's a, it's a big pop culture thing. But what stands out to me is, I mean, they still went through the effort of making sure this happened. Like, this was still a priority for them to some extent for, her to, for them to do this. And I will say, I'm, I'm glad that Taylor Swift got to make it back and watch her man play in the Super Bowl. I'm sure that was a really, really cool moment for her and for, you know, the, the, the Kelsey family and so on. But the problem with this is that we think it's just the normal thing to give people who are famous this special treatment. We think it's the normal thing for us to give the wealthy, the beautiful, the talented this kind of treatment. And yet, James makes it pretty clear that if it's going to be anything, if there's going to be any kind of favoritism being shown, it should be the opposite. It should be the opposite because in the next verse, in verse 5, he says, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? I mean, James says, hasn't God chosen the poor? Even Jesus himself, you go to Luke chapter 2, Jesus himself spoke about how God appointed him to preach the good news to the poor. That was Jesus saying that God appointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And so what James is teaching us is that if we're going to do anything as a church, we should be clamoring. We should be jumping at the opportunity to go and serve and help the poor. To go and serve and show care and love to those that are just so often pushed away by the world, who are trampled on by the world. That's who we should be going out to and reaching and showing that love and care, maybe even a little bit of favoritism to. And so as I read uh, this verse, I came across a story that I just thought was incredible. It's a story about a church in Ohio called uh, Dad's Place, which I think is an awesome name for a church. But essentially, this church in Ohio, their pastor and congregation, they, uh, they made this, uh, this announcement that 
during this really, really bad cold front that was happening in Ohio, where temperatures just got to incredibly low temperatures, they said, you know what? We're going to open up our church for the homeless to stay. Because just, uh, I believe, like a, a week or so uh, before this was happening, three different homeless people in their town had actually died from freezing to death. It was kind of an unexpected cold front that came in. And so people were dying. There wasn't enough space in the shelters, in the homeless shelters in the area. And so they're saying, no, we're going to do something about this. We're going to open up our doors. We're going to let people in. And they did. They had about 100 homeless folks stay with them until, you know, temperatures warmed up and people could, you know, then find a different place and so on and so forth. But during that time, they had a warm place to stay. They had warm meals to eat. But the thing about this is it actually came with some problems. It came with a pretty big risk that came with it, not for many of the homeless people, but actually from the state of Ohio itself. Because according to the article covering the story, Ohio law prohibits residential use and first floor buildings located in a business district. And since the church is zoned as a central business, the building is restricted from allowing people to eat or sleep on the property. And so the state, they had sent this warning to the church saying, hey, you can't do this. This is the law. You cannot house these people. And the church essentially said, we, this is something we have to do. This is something we must do anyway, because we are going to show love and care to the people that are just being pushed away and trampled on, even if it comes with some risks. And that's what James is telling us to do. He's telling us to go out of our way to help the poor, those who are just so often pushed away. And he further cements this in verses 8 and 9. He says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking that law. And so, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. Like, favoritism is a big deal. And it's such a big deal that in verse 12, James says, So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Now, I just want to pause here with this verse. This is a really, really important verse. So if there's any verse that you are going to circle, box, anything, this verse is incredibly, incredibly important. And here's why I say that. You see, what James is saying here, the point that James is making here, is he is saying that you need to speak and you need to act as if each and every day, that could be your last. You need to speak and act as if, as if each day, you are about to stand before God himself and be judged by him. And there's a reason why this verse is so important. There's a reason why I want to pause on this verse, especially for you guys, because I can say, as a middle and high schooler, it is just so easy to think, you know, man, I got my whole life ahead of me. I am invincible. I'm just going to do whatever I want now when I'm older. You know, maybe I'll, I'll kind of get my act together and I'll do that whole adulting thing later. But for now, I'm just going to do whatever I want. It's so easy to kind of have that type of mindset. Like you can do anything and nothing is going to stop you. But let me just get real with you for a moment because the truth is there is going to come a day 
when you are going to stand before God himself and he is going to say to you, Tony, I know every single thing you have done in your life. Everything you have done in your life, I know it. Eden, I know everything you have done. Mike, I know everything about you. He is going to say, I know everything and I mean everything. And so we need to start acting and living out our lives as if each and every day God is going to be judging us. That's why James concludes this portion of the chapter by saying in verse 13, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. In other words, God will show judgment without mercy upon those who have failed to show mercy to others. God will show no mercy to those of us that can just walk out this door later tonight and then just walk past the poor, walk past the outcast, walk past the weirdos or the freaks without ever offering a helping hand to them, without ever offering them just the slightest hint of mercy. James says, oh, just you wait for your turn. Just wait for your turn to be judged. Now, I want to make it clear that I don't think this is really meant to be such an extreme threat. This isn't supposed to come off as a threat to us. But the main thing that I think James is really getting at here is he just wants you to pause and ask yourself, do you really understand the gospel? Do you really understand the gospel? Do you understand the mercy that each of you have been shown? Do you understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus? That's the question that I think is really being presented to us here. Because if you really understand that, if you know that, you would show mercy unto others. I mean, think about it. You and I, we were all sick. We were dead in our sin. And quite honestly, we were disgusting in the eyes of God because of our sinfulness. God knows every secret that goes through your mind, that goes through my mind. He knows every misstep you have taken, every wrong thought that you've ever had that no one else knows about. God knows even about that. Do you know what God said in response to knowing all of that? Do you know what God said? He said, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose you, Will. I'm going to choose you, Danny. I'm going to choose you, Miriam. He said that. I'm going to choose each and every one of you. I am going to rescue all of you. I'm going to send my son Jesus to die for each of you and for your sins. That's the good news. That's the gospel message, the crux of what we believe. And so if God has shown us this kind of mercy, how can we be so shallow as to not be willing to show that kind of mercy unto others? And not just to select few but everyone, God doesn't pick favorites. Neither should we. So that's how James concludes this portion of this chapter. In that first part of chapter 2, it's such a powerful message, just of encouragement and challenging us to go out, show that love and mercy to others. As we talked about last week a lot, it's about rolling up your sleeves, getting your hands dirty. He really challenges us with that. And then the second part of chapter 2 that I just want to touch on here is he kind of continues 
with this same message of rolling up your sleeves, getting your hands dirty. And he kind of goes into this deeper idea of what we talked about last week in chapter 1, as he explains how faith without good deeds is dead. Listen to this. Picking up at verse 14, as we start this new portion of chapter 2, he says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters? And I'll just kind of make a note of you. You'll notice that he says, dear brothers and sisters, quite often. Pretty much every time he says that, that's kind of a thing we should like, you know, uh, something you should notice because right there, you know, he's about to hit you with a real zinger right there. So every time you say, every time you hear him say, dear brothers and sisters, you should pause and notice that because you know he's about to hit you with some hard truth. So again, verse 14, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister with out any food or clothing. And you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and well-fed. Well, but then if you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So again, if you caught last week's lesson covering chapter 1, you may remember that that's kind of how the last part of chapter 1 was talking about, you know, being a doer, just do it, kind of like Nike. He's saying your faith is so much more than just coming to church on a Sunday night or Sunday morning, listening to a lesson, listening to a sermon, and then just walking away. He says, no, you've got to live it out as well. And James is so powerful with this message because he says, what good is it to even have faith but no actions to follow up. That kind of faith is dead. That kind of faith is useless. I mean, that's powerful stuff. It's like saying, just saying that you are a Christian, just saying you are a Christian, talking about how, you know, I remember when I got baptized, or, you know, I can save scripture verses by memory, like John 3, 16. Well, James is saying, okay, well, what good is that? What good is that if there's no action being produced from that so-called faith. And it reminds me of, of something that I actually saw uh, a few years ago while I was in college. I went to Lancaster Bible College, and something that I remember seeing is after a missions trip that some of my classmates had gone on, they started posting a bunch of pictures from that. You know, that's kind of the common thing to do. You go on a missions trip, you fill your social media up with all kinds of posts from this trip. And so I can just remember them posting this. You know, they had gone to... I believe it was Africa, uh, a country in Africa, a small village. And, you know, they're posting these, these pictures of like, oh, so it's so great getting to be with these kids. And, and, you know, it just was a life-changing experience for me. And I can remember like, talking with some of them. They're just like, man, like that was life-changing. And I want to, you know, dedicate my life to serving people. I want to dedicate my life to serving those in my local community. And I want to dedicate my life to even serving internationally. I mean, they came back saying all of these great things. And, you know, upon hearing that, it's like, oh, that's awesome. Like, man, that's really cool that they're doing that. I wish I could be like them. It's kind of my thought whenever I heard them saying that. But the interesting thing is, about a month had gone by, and it was a beautiful fall day, and a group of them go to the nearby park to get some pictures. You've got to make some new pictures for the gram. 
And the interesting thing is about a month later, well, their profile picture changed to that fall day in the park. And their words from a month ago talking about, oh, I want to make sure I focus on serving others. They were just that. They were just words. That's all they ended up being in the end. It's like saying, oh, I hope those kids are warm. I hope those kids are eating well. And James says, what good is that? What good is that? And so what James, he is challenging us as followers of Jesus is that we need to be far more than just talking the talk. We need to walk the walk as well. We need to practice what we preach. I mean, listen to what he says in verse 18. He says, now someone may argue, well, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how, how can you show me your faith if you don't also have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Essentially, what, what James is saying is that you will sometimes have, have Christians and believers who will say things like, well, you know, I'm just not much of a doer. You know, it's just, it's, it's hard for me to do some of these things that we're asked to do as Christians. Like, it's hard for me, so, you know, I just don't do them. But I still believe, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, to go out of my comfort zone and talk to someone about my faith. That's hard for me to do, you know. Or, you know, I may gossip sometimes. I may gossip and, and share some things that I know I probably shouldn't about someone else, but, you know, that's just hard for me to do. But I still believe. I might be addicted to pornography, and I can't shake it, and I'm not doing anything to stop it, but I still believe. You know what James says to that? He said, how can you say that? How can you say you have faith if you don't have the actions to back it up. It's the classic phrase of actions speak louder than words. And James says, look, you can talk about your faith all day, but me, I am going to show you that I believe based on the way that I live my life, based on the things that I do. And so you and I, we should seriously be going above and beyond when it comes to living out our faith. Not just talking about it, but we should be living our lives in such a way that each and every person we come into contact with who sees us should just be pausing for a moment and thinking, man, they must really believe that Jesus stuff based on the way they live. Like they must really believe that there is a God in heaven watching over them based on their actions because there's no other reason they would be doing that. So this is pretty intense stuff, right? Like James is not messing around, and I will tell you, as we are about to conclude chapter 2, he just gets even crazier. He takes it one step further in verse 19. Look at this. He says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you! Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. I gotta say, I love how sarcastic James is right here. Like, good for you. You want a sticker? You want a gold star? But in reality, I mean, I want you to understand the weight of his words right here because these words have so much to them. He says, you may say you have faith. You claim that you believe that our God is the only God. Well, you want to know something? So do the demons in hell. They believe that too. 
In fact, he even goes a step further saying, they shudder, they tremble in terror. And that phrase in the original Greek that James was writing in, it actually gives like this, this imagery of like the hairs on your arm stand up in fear. It's like whenever I see a spider, because I'm absolutely terrified of spiders, like the hair on my arm will stand up in terror. And that's how the demons in hell are when it comes to God. They are terrified of God, for they know who God is. So James says, which is just so shocking, he's like, just because you believe in God, well, how does that make you any different than a demon? Sheesh, James, wow. But he says, just because you believe, you may even fear God a little bit too, well, so do the demons. And so what's the difference? Well, the difference is action. The demons know God and they even fear him, but they refuse to transform their lives. And we, we're called to transform our lives. We're called to back up our faith with our actions. And so that's why James abruptly says in verse 20, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And then later on in verse 26, he closes the chapter by saying, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. It's useless. It's dead. It needs action. So I want to say, I know tonight's lesson was a lot to take in. I mean, this is a hard, hard chapter to read. And these are some heavy things that we went over. And I'll say, it's not going to be easy to live this out. It's not going to be easy You're going to have times that you will fail. But I just want you to know that God is here with you. He will show mercy unto you and He will help guide you through this process. But it's up to you to take that action, to become a doer. Don't just talk the talk. Be a doer. So as I conclude, I just want to reread James chapter 1, verse 22 that we read last week, where again James says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only. That's our call to action tonight. Be doers. So let's do it. Let's do it. When we walk out these doors tonight, we want to make sure that we're not showing favoritism to You know, those who we think are maybe worthy of it. We want to not show favoritism, and we want to make sure that we are practicing and living out what we preach and what we believe. That is our job here tonight. And so when we go out these doors, that is my challenge to each of you. I know some of you, you know, maybe at homeschool, they may not see each other as much, but that is where the church, the youth group, comes into play, where you are helping make sure that each person in this room, is living this out each and every day. It's holding each other accountable. And so when someone slips up, maybe does something at school that, you know, everyone knows they maybe shouldn't be, that's where you step in and you have the hard conversation saying, hey, I noticed this. Let's try and fix this. If you truly believe, let's try and fix this. I'm going to pray. 
and we're going to uh, then break into our small groups. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a tough, tough challenge and call to action that James gives us here in chapter 2. And so, Lord, I just pray that you will give us the guidance, the wisdom, the, the patience, everything, the, the, the love, the mercy that we need to live this out. Because, Lord, we can't do this on our own. We are going to fail and we are going to mess up. So, Lord, forgive us when that happens. But God, it's my prayer that each of us here, when we walk out these doors, this is not going to just be another lesson. This is a call to action that you give us. Plain as day, you give it to us right here in your word. Let us live this out. Let us be doers and not hearers only. Lord, I pray that you will just convict each of us of this truth here tonight and remind us of this daily as we go through our time at home, at school, at our jobs, at our different musical, band, choir, sports practices. Let these words always remain in our minds. We thank you, Lord. And we do all this in your name. For we believe that you sent your son to die on that cross to save us. You showed that mercy unto us, even though we were so undeserving of it. And yet you still loved us anyway. So Lord, we do this in your great name. And we lift it all up to you. Can I get an amen? Amen, amen to that. Thanks for listening to tonight's lesson. As always, you can go back and listen to any previous lessons that you might have missed. Also, if you want to stay up to date with what is happening in the Five Forks Student Ministries, we encourage you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can find us under Five Forks Students. Or you can check out our website, ffbic.org slash students.